You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode six of Keeping Up with the Krakens, presented by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is your host, Tyler Bell, located in the Rocky Mountains of Alberta, Canada. And once again, we are joined by my very good friend and self-proclaimed hockey fanatic, Alec Durham. How are you doing today, Alec? Oh, not too bad. You know, it's a nice sunny day out. Still starting to get cold now. We woke up with a little bit of frost on the ground for the first time this year. How about you? Yeah, I'm doing not too bad. And yeah, it's getting that time of year now, isn't it? Where you're waking up and you got to start the car early in the morning to get rid of some of that frost, right? That's that Canadian lifestyle here. That or take a hockey stick out of the back seat and scrape off a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's another option too. Yeah, of course. So yeah, today's episode, Alec joins us and we're just going to be reviewing game four versus Philly, game, five's, game five versus New Jersey, game six First Vancouver, that happened last night. A nice, exciting uh, home opener for the Kraken. Then we'll be taking an early look at the Pacific Division, going through a few of those teams. We'll get into some Kraken news that's been uh, going on this past week. And then I may or may not be tossing Durham into the deep end by the end of this episode. So moving on, moving along here, we're going to get right into Game 4 uh, versus the Philadelphia Flyers. And this game took place on October 18th uh, in Philly. And before we get into the game, just a couple pregame notes to go over. So Cole Lind was in for Alex Brie-Boulet on the second line. And then we had another change up front too, where Wenberg and McCann switched spots. So Wenberg took over that first line center position as McCann took over uh, the second line center position. So a nice simple switch. And then it was announced, too, Grubauer was making his fourth consecutive start in this game. What's your thoughts on that, Durham, him starting his fourth consecutive game in essentially one week into the regular season? I don't know about it, if I would have done it. I think I'd have probably given him the night off and played him the next night. I know it was a back-to-back with Philly, New Jersey there, and everyone's always, you got to play your starter in the first game. But he played a lot of hockey already for the first three, so maybe give him the night off, have New Jersey, and then three days off before Vancouver for the home opener. Yeah, I thought that would have been a good idea to, like, essentially 
this is the seventh day into the regular season and you have your starting goalie already playing his fourth game in a row. That seems a little aggressive to start the year off, wouldn't you say? Yeah, but I wonder with uh, Drieger getting hurt, if they were skeptical of playing him, maybe they hoped he'd get healthy in time to have his start, but I guess things didn't quite work out that way. No, I don't think they did, but looking into this game, they did have a pretty good start. They came out uh, and they really pushed the pace early on, uh, especially as the away team playing in Philly's barn, not an easy place to be playing. And they had some great A opportunities from Donato and Eberly, but Hart absolutely robs Eberly as he comes across there. And, you know, Hart just gets a good glove save on it. And kind of from that point on, about the halfway point of this first period, uh, Philly really started to take this game over and getting a couple shifts where they're hemmed in Seattle's or Seattle was hemmed in their own zone there. And then just like that, Giroux makes it one nothing with a snipe top shelf on Grubauer and boom, one nothing Philly early on like that. Yeah, Seattle's now let in the first goal of the game three quarters of the time. Like that's something you'd probably want to fix going forward and get after it a little bit quicker. Yeah, and I can understand, you know, they're all road games starting off early here. So it is a bit tougher to get off to those fast starts. But like you said, three out of the four times so far this year, they've let in that first goal. And it's never easy when you're always fighting from behind, right? Things yeah, exactly. Yeah, and things didn't get much better too. Uh, shortly after, Konechny makes it 2 nothing on a rebound goal. And then just a couple minutes after that, that's followed up by a goal from Brassard uh, as well. So in a span of five minutes and 18 seconds, they had three goals against, and things weren't looking too good from this point on, were they? No, I'll tell you what, Philly was the team to get after it. That's not exactly the perfect road game you want to have for Seattle, letting the home team get three on you, 5-18 in. Yeah, it's not exactly the kind of start you want to be having. But, you know, Seattle was getting caught standing still a lot and puck watching in this first period. And, you know, it put them in a pretty massive hole. And it didn't help that Grubauer, you know, didn't get off to the best start in this game. And like I said, I was a bit surprised he didn't uh, get pulled right after the third goal, even just to shake things up for this team, get things going. But then again, you know, they play the Devils the very next night. So maybe their plan was, you know, they don't want to be throwing Drieger in because they wanted to give him that start, right? But um, just taking a look at that first period, shots were 16 to 8 for Philadelphia. And those were all shots that, you know, Philly didn't have any power play time in that first period. So those are five on five opportunities. And that's just way too many to be giving up uh, in one period uh, to any team, you know? So there's no excuse for that. And then taking a look, too, we got uh, some face-offs here. Seattle was 5 for 17 on the face-offs in that first period, which to me is becoming uh, a big concern from this team going forward, wouldn't you say? Well, anytime your team's not winning the majority of the face-offs, you're concerned about it. The game's so much easier when you can start the game with the puck on your stick and not have to chase after it all night. Exactly. And this is becoming a bit of a trend for the Seattle team is their lack of success on the faceoff dot. And, you know, you take a look at it, they're not getting the matchups they want because they're playing all on the road here. So it is a bit more difficult, but five for 17, 
I, that's brutal, right? Like you, that's like you said, you got to start with possession more often than that, or else you're going to be stuck chasing the game a lot. Right. Yeah. And you're already chasing this one down three, nothing. You don't want to be chasing it in every aspect of the game. You want to start winning some small victories. Exactly. Win some of those small victories, win some of those puck battles, uh, that's what you're going to have to do to climb back into this one being down in a, in a hole three, nothing early moving on to the second period. Uh, early on, we had a bit of an incident where Giordano went to block a shot and he absolutely smokes Grubauer. And they both go sliding right into the boards. You don't see this play too often, but yeah, he took his goalie right out of the crease. Uh, and that was, you know, kind of hilarious to see, to be honest, because uh, it's not every day you, you see the, your defenseman absolutely smoke your own goalie out of the play. But I get what Giordano's trying to do there. He's trying to block a shot. Uh, like on a two-on-one opportunity, but maybe try to let your goalie make that save instead of taking him right out of the net. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the guy why he's got all the equipment on, right? Yeah, you, you kind of want him to to take that, and you probably shouldn't be taking out your own goalie just to make that save yourself, so maybe a little selfish from the captain on that one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah and then moving on here seattle got their first chance on the power play too early on but they weren't able to create much for dangerous chances and just like that philly comes back with even more pressure after that power play uh they're down low they got seattle hemmed in and all five guys are just watching this puck battle and ryan ellis is left all alone out front uh, a puck sneaks right out to him He's alone in the slot and pops on top shelf. And just like that, it's 4 nothing Philly. What a pickup that's going to be for Philly, eh, Ryan Ellis? He's just going to yeah, be he, their dream defenseman back there. Yeah, he's looked really good offensively. And got to give it some credit, too, to Keith Yandel because I think he's getting a lot of that first power play time uh, on the power play one in Philly. And, he, you know, he... He's looked really well too. And then you add in another guy like Reese Linen who plays a lot of those hard defensive minutes. And Philly is going to be a really good team this year. And they've made a lot of good improvements on their back end. So they're really counting on the, their goaltending, especially Carter Hart, to, to have a bit of a comeback season. But yeah, it just taking a look at this game, jumping back into things, there's another awful defensive play that led to another odd man rush opportunity and a pretty weak shot squeezes through Grubauer five, nothing Philly and Grubauer's night is officially over. Um, so give me your thoughts on that. Should it have even started? Probably not. Probably not. I think that's too many starts in a week, especially right off the bat, right? You're going to burn your goalie out at that rate. And I get that trigger maybe hasn't had the best uh, showing so far, especially in preseason um, where, you know, he was given some opportunity to show what he's made of, you know, big contract for him, a lot of expected um, to not play him in one of the first four games. That's a little shaky. And now he comes into this game, you're down five, nothing. You're already halfway through the game. It's probably not the way he would have liked to start his Seattle professional uh career here in, in seattle so this so that's a tough way to get thrown into it and we're down five nothing uh tempers finally boil over when larson gets cross-checked from a dangerous distance from the boards and then we see alexiak 
uh, come in there and drop the mitts. So at least they were showing some kind of fight, right? Yeah, literally. It's about time, like, you know, get back into the game. I can't believe you wait till five, nothing to, you know, uh, as Jackie Moon would say, somebody hit somebody. <laughs> yeah, seriously. It's probably a little too late for, you know, showing some fight after, you know, you're down five, nothing. Now there's not a whole lot that can happen, but at least they didn't get shut out. It's Carson Susie was able to break in uh, to the zone there and get his own rebound. And he tucked one home to make it five, one. So, uh, you know, and that happened right before the end of the second. And then Seattle did manage another power play opportunity. But again, they didn't really create much off of it. It looked pretty sloppy and they didn't look in sync in this game at all. So moving into the third period here, um, the beating continued as the crack and D uh, get beat to another puck and Faraby buries a rebounder to make it 6-1. And that was a bit of an embarrassing effort on that goal from Adam Larson. Uh, just to get beat into the zone like that, it almost looked like this team had given up already, and it was just the the start of the third period. Yeah, certainly not the look you want from a guy who's a part of your leadership group, too. Like that's the guy you want leading the charge when you're getting your asses kicked six one. Oh yeah, I mean, and it's probably a better way to say that, but you know what I meant. Well, that's exactly what was going on, and the beating didn't stop there either as uh, Nathan Bastian dropped the mitts with Nate Thompson and he got absolutely pumped. Uh, it wasn't close at all. You could tell Nate Thompson was fired up. And I think earlier in the game, uh, this all kind of came from a bit of a mix up between Bastian and Giroux off a face-off draw uh, earlier in the game. So you could, you could tell, you know, Nate Thompson's job is to go out there, hit, play good defensive hockey, maybe kill some penalties and drop the gloves when he's needed to. And I think that was a big opportunity for him to do that and, and show that, you know, he's going to stand up for his teammates and especially his captain and drew. Right. Yeah, exactly. You can't have someone just messing up your captain. Someone's going to step in there and say, you can't do that. Exactly. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that was not a good look for Nathan Bashan because he got pommeled that fight. Um, and yeah. Yeah, basically this game was, I would say, the worst in Kraken history. <laughs> and I know it's deep early, history. but a <laughs> deep history, right? So a 6-1 pumble like that, um, it was a poor effort from pretty much everyone. Grubauer looked pretty bad in this game. And then just the defensemen just puck watching and not doing their assignments and, and defending well and, you know, there wasn't really much you could take away from this game that was positive, right? No. You know, I heard a saying once of uh, when you take a shit, you don't look at it. You flush it down the toilet and move on. So flush this game yeah. away and move on. Exactly. And the only positive we could really take out of it was that they're, they're playing New Jersey the very next night. So that's, you know, a really good opportunity for them to you know, shake this one off, put it in the past, forget about it, and, you know, go out and try to earn a victory the very next night, right? Exactly. So that's what they do. They enter a game against New Jersey the very next night, so October 19th. Uh, a couple pregame notes heading into this one. Yanni Gord makes his season Kraken debut, so that was very exciting, getting him back from the IR. And then... Just before the game, too, we heard that Drager was placed on the IR. 
Um, so during the last, you know, half of that game last night, he must have tweaked something. I'm going to assume it was lower body. Knowing a goalie, it's it's usually, you know, something to do with those groins or those legs. Tweaking something. So he was placed on IR. Joy Decard gets called up and they give him the start. So um, I was expecting this right when I heard that he was called up. Uh, you're not going to play Grubauer that many games. At least I certainly hope you wouldn't. And I think Joey Decord with his great play in preseason, preseason, he really earned an opportunity to get a start early on in this season. Yeah, and you so, know him being in Ottawa. Oh, yeah. Yeah, huge Joey Dak fan. And I think this guy really does have what it takes to be, you know, an everyday goaltender in the NHL, mainly a backup role. And, you know, he's still young enough to, if he does take that role as a backup for a couple seasons, you never know what these goalies, right? They develop late and, you know, maybe he does see it's time as a starter in the NHL one day. But right now, I think he would definitely be best suited as that backup position. So going forward, we'll see kind of how many starts he might get. Uh, we'll see how long Trigger's on the IR for, but I would love to see Joy, you know, continue to play in the NHL. And then one final pregame note too, Vince Dunn uh, was back in the lineup after being day-to-day, so he's healthy and he was back in this one. So another big boost to the lineup, uh, which kind of fires up the boys for the game. Um, But things got off to a pretty rowdy start and Tanev dropped the mitts with uh, Michael McLeod uh, and it was a nice good tilt between them. Um, But shortly after... Mercer scores for the Devils on a two-on-one feed from Natar from Tatar. It was a bad odd man rush to give up uh, just five minutes into the game, and we're back in the hole, right? Yeah, I mean, you always have a little soft spot when someone scores their first goal in the league. So good for Mercer there getting his first, not just pro goal, I think, but first one in the show, right? NHL first round pick for New Jersey, little a couple years ago. So that's neat, but. Frick, that sucks. We're chasing the game again right away. Down one nothing. And just add it to the list, right? Now it's four out of the first five games that, uh, you know, you're down by a goal minimum, you know, to start the game. So not the greatest look. Um, And going forward, Seattle's got to find ways to put up the first goal of the game and stop chasing the game, right? And then... exactly. Just moving on to a few minutes after that goal by Mercer, Jack Hughes throws a point shot on net, and you have defenseman Damian Severson out front, and he finds the rebound, and he buries it. Now you have a 2 nothing lead for the Devils. Start to think about it. Shades of last night already? Oh, Frig, I hope not. Yeah, we're all kind of hoping that. I mean, you want to watch this team compete and be in games and – the night before that game against Philly was just a tough one to watch. And and then they find themselves in a hole two nothing now against the devils in the first period. And they weren't really able to establish an offensive presence uh, in this first period in this game. Uh, the only real chance they had was an, a breakaway by Jordan Eberle, which he was shut down on. So um, they were able to get a power play but they weren't able to create any good high quality chances. They had one good chance right off the, the opening face off with a, with a, a shot by Yanni Gord on net. And other than that, they really couldn't set up and keep things going. And then it, it looked even worse too, because Larson takes another penalty with about a minute left in the first period. 
and the Devils just about make it 3 nothing. but the period ends just in the nick of time, which is really good. And I bet you another millisecond on that, and it probably would have counted. It was that close. It was pretty crazy. You can almost call that the turning point, too, because if that hits 3 nothing right at the end of the first, this game's probably a blowout again, especially when you have two back-to-back like that. That would hurt. Yeah, no kidding, because this was a, another pretty bad period of hockey by the Kraken. They couldn't create anything offensive, no good offensive pressure, and their defensive play continued to look sloppy, just like it did the game against Philly. And taking a look at the shots after the first period, it was 14-7 to for New Jersey. So again, um, you know, they did let in two goals, but Joey Decord was pretty much keeping them in this game still. Yeah, and I thought he kind of locked it down after that second goal against. Like he looked a lot more confident and settled in. He did, 100%. He looked he looked settled in after that second goal. And it's hard to even blame him um for for those goals too in in the first period. Like that was a nice goal by Mercer. He's got a 2 on 1 there. He dives across. He tries to make that save. He was so close, but you know, it just gets by him and then you know, defense out front, not taking their assignments. And Severson was able to, you know, pop home a rebound pretty easily. So hard to blame him for those goals. Obviously you want to see him stop them, but I think you're exactly right on that, where he was able to shut things down after that and just looked way more comfortable in this game going forward. Yeah. So another scrappy start. Uh, for the second period as Lazan gets into a bit of a fight. wasn't a total fight, but he did drop the gloves. And, uh, you know, just like that, the period started with another fight. So at least the Kraken are showing some fight in this game, literally. Um, and then moving along to uh, Jordan Eberle, once again, looked like he had a sure goal, but, you know, he was robbed. So at this point, it just feels like Eberle can't buy a goal. You know, he's getting robbed in back-to-back games like that. Um, and then, you know, the Kraken did start to get some pretty good pressure or a good, you know, some good pressure going. And they had an early opportunity on the power play. Uh, it turned into another chance where it was a small five-on-three. They continued to put that pressure on. And they don't score on the power play. But with all that momentum, they're able to find the back of the net. Uh, with a rebounder top shelf from Shahan on a shot from Larson from the point. So it was good to see them, you know, get a goal in this game and, and get things back close, right? Yeah, you want to bring it close. You don't want to go to 3 nothing like we talked about with the end of the first period there. You want to keep the game competitive as long as you can and try and find yourself, keep telling yourself, like, we're one or two shots out from this, and, you know, one here to tie it, two to take the lead. But if it starts reaching where you got to say, all right, we got to get three or four just to make this a game again, it's difficult on the team. But oh, they go yeah, and saying that, you know, uh, they kind of kill off another penalty there. But shortly after that, the Devils make it 3 1. You know, a lot of rotation in the offensive zone there. And VC gets left alone out front on a little tap in five hole there, quick pass from the half wall. But uh, nothing, you know, really decor could really do about that. There was a lot of movement there, the puck bouncing around and good move. Good passing, honestly. New Jersey's had a hot start this season. Yeah. And, yeah, that was a tough one because it kind of took some of the sales out of the crack and, again, by, you know, being down in the two-goal two hole again. So, um, And then they, you know, out of nowhere, Wenberg skates over the blue line and just rips a shot low blocker off the post uh, using the defenseman as a, as a screen. 
But dun dun dun, it was offside and it doesn't count. So again, kind of taking the sails out of the wind there, or the wind out of the sails. Um, so that was a tough one, <laughs> um, tough one for them. But yeah, just before the end of the period, uh, Geeky received a bit of a dirty hit from Siegenthaler, and Donato jumps right in uh, to fight Siegenthaler and defend his teammate so total credit to donato there for jumping in he's not exactly the fighting type is he no he's definitely been known as more of a skill and flash guy so you know nice to see him get in there like you said defend his teammate yeah 100 percent. it's good to see that and that was the third fight of the game so the kraken were just cracking their knuckles off of skulls in this one uh with three <laughs> fights in the game so uh, good to see Donato get that, but, you know, he did end up getting the instigator penalty, which I don't think teammates really care about that when you're standing up for them, do they? No, they don't worry about that. You know, if you come to the defense of your teammate, they'll to kill that penalty every night. Yeah, exactly. And Seattle did manage to kill it off, so no harm, no foul there. Moving on to the third period. An important period to try to find your way back into this period. You're down by two. You need to push the offense. Try to tie this game up, especially when it's your last game of the road, uh, on the road, and you're going to be heading home, right? You want to try to end this thing on a high note and, you know, keep on competing. Show some grit. Show that you're not going to fold over like you did the, the night before. And they did create some good chances. Um, however, uh, well, the devils got into some penalty trouble and the crack and get a lengthy five on three and McCann, he has a lot of time and he absolutely rips one past Bernier and he does bring the game back to within one goal and the devils are only up by one at this point. And that's a shot you've seen from McCann a lot this year already. If you look back to preseason too, like he's definitely established himself as the shooting threat on the first power play from the left side there. He comes up high, receives it from the D, and gives himself that extra second to really walk into that wrister. Yeah, and he likes to go short side, whether it's down low or, you know, usually he's been going up high as of late. But, yeah, you're right. He likes to kind of get that pass, take a couple steps in, and, and rip one short side. So that, that has been working for him so far. So it's good to see some success in the regular season from that play as well. If it ain't broke. Don't fix it. All right, and, you know, unfortunately, the comeback does fall short, and the Devils put it away with an empty netter, and the Kraken now dropped their third game in a row. So this would conclude the Kraken's first road trip of the season uh, with a record of 1-3-1 and one to start the year. Give me your thoughts on that. What do you think for their first five games of the season all on the road? I mean, that's tough for any team, right? I mean, it's not just Seattle. You see a lot of other top teams around the league. I don't know if they've all started with five on the road. I'm sure they haven't, but you've got good teams with one, three and one records or worse. I mean, look at Vegas. I know they had a couple of injury trouble a little bit, but it's still a team where everybody thought was going to be at the top of the division. And currently they're last. It's early. Yeah. Anything could happen. Yeah, exactly. You just got to take it with a grain of salt and not get too upset over it. Like you said, these are all players who are going to be, you know, essentially they're all playing with each other for the very first time here. Uh, and it does take a while to learn systems from a new coach. So when you have a group like this, you know, you know, one, three and one doesn't look that good, but you know, there are still some positives 
you could take from it, especially from this game. You know, getting that first game with the Yanni Gord back in the lineup, he looked really great. Uh, it looked like he helped stabilize some of that offense out up front for the game, and he was able to add a much-needed presence in the face-off circle as he went 13 for 23 on face-offs. And, you know, I'm not a stat, I'm not a math guy, but if I'm correct, that's over 50%. So that that's pretty good and something you need from your centermen going forward because that's what's been lacking a lot from this team. Yeah, you're certainly going to need Yanni Gord to be your number one centerman if we're going to have success this season. Yeah, he he's going to have to take on a big, big workload this season because, you know, unfortunately, a couple guys up front just haven't been there offensively yet. You know, Everly and Schwartz haven't really shown much offense and, and they've been playing top line minutes. So, you know, Yanni Gord, you're going to have to step up and, you know, take control of this offense because this team is is lacking it lately. Um, but, yeah, I thought, you know, Donato obviously gets some stick taps for standing up for his teammates there and dropping the mitts. And then for Decord's first game, too, with them, you know, I thought he looked pretty good. Like you said, he was settled in after those first couple goals. Um, he had a 906 save percentage. So, you know, I think he's going to deserve another shot here soon to to get another game. Yeah, we'll play. Uh, we'll see Grubauer for the next five or six in a row, probably. And then we'll see Decor get another game. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be the trend. <laughs> Seems to be the trend. Hoping it doesn't stay the trend, but we'll see. And just wrapping up that five-game road stand to start the season, your goal-scoring leaders are McCann and Tanev, who are tied at three. No other player has at two yet. So give me your thoughts on that. McCann and Tanev are your goal scorers after five games. Predicted, non-predicted, what do you think? They're former Pittsburgh Penguins. I mean, who didn't see that coming? <laughs> Fair enough. And, yeah, point leader is McCann at five as well. Um, so credit to him because he's been the most consistent player on this team so far, I, I would think. Yeah, he's been good. He's been solid. You know, he's definitely taking the bull by the horns with the opportunity he's been given here. He's kind of been buried in other lineups coming up through the league the last few years. And it's funny to say the last few years because a lot of people forget he's still young. Like, I think yeah, he's he only is. 24. I believe he is 24. Yeah. 24 years old and that's still young in this league uh, for sure. And, you know, he seemed like a guy who's continued to get better and, and progress throughout, you know, his, his young NHL career. So hoping that trend continues with this player and looks like he's going to get every opportunity to do that with Seattle this season. It'll be nice for him to finally find a home too, if it works out in Seattle as a top six forward, which I think he'll definitely become as a winger. I don't know about as a centerman, but he could be a 60, 65 point guy steadily for you. But it's funny to have him find a home because this is technically his fifth NHL team already. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he was first moved from Vancouver. Is that not correct? They're like, good yeah, Branson for good one Branson. For one? one for one. I, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So he goes to Florida from that deal. And then I think he had some, some good time there, but then he struggled to find offense. And then was he not moved to uh, Pittsburgh after that as well? Yep. Yeah. He came over to Pittsburgh and then uh, was kind of a middle six guy for them and eventually found some decent chemistry with Malkin. Good player. 
Yeah, good player. And I like the way, you know, you're thinking about it too. I don't think McCann long-term is going to be a centerman for this team. I think he's probably best suited to be a winger and a winger who is more strictly offensive and, you know, puts up those 60, 65 point numbers one day. The versatility will help though if injuries happen. He could take a few games at center. Yeah, and it's not going to hurt. I think one thing he lacks there, uh, it's not his positioning, but his ability to win draws. Again, I, I haven't seen a whole lot, but so far that's just on the road. Maybe when uh, you know they play at home and he's able to get different matchups, those percentages might increase as well. Did you say play at home? Play at home? You mean the home opener? I do mean the home opener. Yeah, and it's about it's about friggin' time, right? Like we're pretty much, you know, almost two weeks into the season. We're on game six, and the Kraken are finally able to bring their fans home in their new barn. Big home opener. Electricity was in the air. It was hype. What's your thoughts on it? Oh, it was exactly what you'd want to see for your home opener. You know, fill the barn, get everyone buzzing. Release the Kraken, baby. Yeah, the Kraken was released. And <laughs> that crowd was just so electric. And some of that pregame stuff was just sending shivers down my spine. It was pretty exciting to finally see that home barn. And what a beautiful looking barn, too. Eh? And I, I seen, you know, they're showing pictures of that glass right up front. And that's street view. That's street level view. So you could actually see fans watching the game from what would be the very top seats in the barn and they're on street view and they could see right through that glass. So that's actually really cool, really cool setup they have going on there. Do you think with a tall enough step ladder, you'd be able to see the ice? Oh, I think they were able to see it without the step ladder, but they, you know, if they have to kind of look over some of those fans who were sitting in the top seats and, you know, why not bring one, right? <laughs> that, that fans bang, you know, at least 50, $70 for that ticket. And, you, you know, you're on the outside watching the same game and could probably feel the atmosphere from on the other side of the glass, right? Just vibing right through it. Yeah. And you don't become an official NHL team until you boo Gary Bettman, right? So, so of course, Bettman has a few words to introduce the Kraken. And the first thing the, the Seattle Kraken fans do is give him a nice hard boo to welcome him into the uh, the building, right? Oh, that was the biggest relief I had. You wanted to see how we reacted to Batman, you know, build, commissioner in the building, and we just let it rain booze on the man. Like you said, that's how you know you're a real fan base in the NHL. You know what you're doing. Exactly. And they, they didn't hesitate there. They knew exactly what they were doing. And then even uh, before the game started, they had a bit of a ceremony where they retired number 32. I want to get your thoughts on that because it's uh, not something you see every day. So they retired the number 32 in Seattle. What do you think about it? Who's wore 32? <laughs> it's weird. I don't like it that much. It's kind of, I don't know. It's weird to me. I think you reserve it for players or possibly even members of your organization who are, have done a lot. And yeah, I get it's for the fans, you know, being the 32nd franchise. I don't, I don't know. It, it's weird. What do you think? Yeah. It, uh, again, it was a bit of a strange one. I definitely didn't see it coming, but 
you know, I, I get it. They're the 32nd team in the NHL. They want to honor that number. And then I guess another big reason why they did it was, uh, you know, when they were receiving uh, deposits for uh, season seats uh, for people to deposit for that, they received 32,000 deposits um, before, you know, they were able to close it up because obviously, you know, you can't have 32,000 people sitting in that building. It's only, you know, 18,000 or so. So I guess that was another big reason because, you know, just that fans showing that fan support from uh, Seattle. So I guess that's another reason why they decided to retire that number and honor the fans. So yeah, kind of a weird move, but Hey, honor the number, the crowd seemed to like it. So, you know, it is what it is. And then, yeah, they decided to switch things up uh, for some forward lines heading into this one. So I'll just read those off. So we're going from left wing, center, right wing. So they switched things up. They got Yarncroc playing with Gord and Schwartz. Then they put McCann with Wenberg and Eberly. Third line of Tanev, Geeky, Donskoy. And then the fourth line of Bastion, Shahan, Appleton. And then moving on to the D, uh, your, your first pair of Giordano and Alexiak. Then second pair of Larson and Lausanne. A third pair of Susie and Dunn. And then, of course, giving Grubauer the start. So, you know, no surprise there. So give me your thoughts on these lines uh, and, you know, the, the changes that they made. Well, I mean, like we just talked about before, I think McCann's going to be a winger long-term, so it's nice to see him kind of slotting in there. I'm curious now about how long until he replaces Schwartz on the top line with Gord. Because I think Gord's look great. I think McCann's look great. Get them out there together. Yeah, yeah. That's actually a good point. Um, I don't know what's going on with Schwartz right now, but he's off to a pretty slow start this year. Um, Eberly too. So why not give those minutes to uh, to McCann and drop Schwartz down? But I could see them, uh, you know, Schwartz and Eberle haven't shown that much chemistry, so I could see why they're trying to break those guys up and put them on separate lines as well. But, uh, yeah, looking at these lines, you could tell that they're trying to balance them out and trying to find some more scoring, um, you know, throughout the forward lines and the D lines. Um, so... You know, some interesting changes for sure. You got to shake things up and, you know, in doing so, you hope that your team comes flying out to start the game, right? Yeah, for sure. Which, you know, they absolutely did. I don't know if it was just the lineup change there or the way the crowd was buzzing, but holy, they came out flying, just blew the barn doors off. They did. It was just so loud in there. Epic, epic looking arena. And one thing we noticed was uh, the color of the dashboard, right? Where it meets, uh, where the board meets the glass there. They have that colored black, which I don't think is in any other arena. So I thought that was pretty cool to see, actually. Um, what do you think? How do you think it looked? Oh, I loved it. I mean, a little different because, like I said, I don't think I can think of anywhere they have that. You know, it's usually the blue, the red, yellow, some variation of those three colors. But mm-hmm. having the black look go across there, I thought it looked real nice during play. I thought so too. It suited well. Like it it fit in really nicely. I love the way that looked. So kudos to whoever, 
uh, came up with that idea because, you know, I think that's a win in our books. And yeah, Seattle came out flying. They found their legs early. It was a pretty even battle. Um, and Vancouver was the first team to get a power, power play opportunity. Uh, fortunately for Seattle, they were able to kill off that. And Drew Bauer was a big part of that. He, he had a pretty solid first period of play. And then Seattle would also find their, their first power play of the night and created some quality scoring chances. Kept the pressure on in the O-zone, which is something they've struggled with in their last few games especially. And they managed to get four shots on net on that power play. Didn't score, but with 3.2 seconds to play in the first period. And what a moment that was. Durham, talk us through that. Oh, did you hear the crowd go just bananas there? Man, they were so loud. I couldn't even hear their goal horn. <laughs> I could not hear it. And that was the one thing I was kind of hoping to hear to see what it sounded like. And that crowd was just way too loud. You couldn't even hear it. But yeah, what a moment that was. And then... Of course, it's just an absolute beautiful snipe by Dunn to walking in and you just hear the biggest ping and the crowd just took off from that point, right? Yeah, that was just, like you said, a rocket. You could hear the ping. It was clear as day. Just a bomb where he collects it in stride and fires it over the glove there. Crowd goes bananas. Like you said, you could barely hear the goal horn, which is actually a Washington State ferry horn. How freaking neat is that? That's amazing that it's actually off an actual ferry. So, you know, what a cool concept to have that as your goal horn um, in, in Kraken history. Eh? That's, that's just neat. So pretty cool to see that. And I'll even add in another note. Um, somebody had mentioned too on Twitter um, that the first power play that Seattle got, uh, the song they played was Man in the Box by Allison Chains. So <laughs> perfect little song to be playing as somebody, as we're sending somebody to the box. So again, I just wanted to, to add that in, but yeah, Seattle's really doing it right. And, you know, thank gosh that it was the Seattle Kraken who scored the first NHL goal in the climate pledge arena, because, you know, what a suck to see Vancouver score that first goal and take that crowd out of it. But that wasn't the case this time. Uh, and Seattle finds a really good opportunity to to snipe one right before the end of the period and gives themselves a great opportunity heading into the second period here, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for once, you're not chasing the game. You're ahead of it. You're going into the second period with a lead, and you scored the first goal of the game. There's a lot to love about that first period for Seattle, and especially the Seattle fans, your first 20 minutes seeing your team on home ice. And speaking of seeing your team on home ice, how gorgeous are those jerseys? I can't get enough of it. Like I would have one right now, but I'm still trying to decide who exactly I want to get. So, you know, there's definitely some names I'm looking at, but I'm going to wait till that, you know, first 10 games of the season until I make a decision, but I cannot wait to get my hands on one of these jerseys. One of the best looking jerseys in the league, top five, right up there. I love them. They are just fantastic to look at. Why make a decision? You got two hands. Get two jerseys. <laughs> I might have to. I'd have to get a roadie and a home jersey. 
So oh, yeah. Now we're thinking. Yeah. yeah, one of each. Why not? Right. They're both beautiful. And that logo just sticks out so perfectly, right? Like just love the way it looks. All the color, the color schemes just go with Seattle. Um, and yeah, just being able to see those those home jerseys live in their barn too, just electric. Just was loving it. Looked and great. They did. And yeah, just going into the second period here, uh, you know, things started off right where they or started right where they left off, and the pace was just full throttle, felt like a playoff game. And the hits really started to rack up in this game right away, especially in the start of that second period. And it did. It both teams were just trading hits, and then they even traded a couple penalties in there. Nothing would come of them. Um, but Seattle was looking much more confident in the second period, right? Yeah, like you said, they really brought the physicality as well. I mean, both teams did, but Seattle had their feet moving. They were throwing the body. They were getting pucks to the net, making good plays with the puck, just oozing confidence, and they were bringing it to the Canucks, which you want to see because that's going to be your closest geographical rival too. Like, let's Mm -hmm. go. Take it to them. Yeah, no, it was a perfect setting to be able to play this game against Vancouver because you want to do anything to really try to create that rivalry with them. And that's what this game felt like. It felt like a rivalry matchup with how how much hitting was in this game and uh, just the pace and how uh, it was just awesome pace and everything with this game. So Vancouver actually, they had a stretch of 16 minutes and 33 seconds of consecutive time without a shot on goal. And that just kind of speaks to the type of pressure Seattle is putting on them, especially, you know, flying out of the gates in the second, but then Horvat beats Grubauer on a five hole shot to tie the game at one, just over halfway through the second on their first shot in that, you know, 16 plus minutes. So that's a tough one, tough one to give up, isn't it? That's a real tough one, I think, too, especially because that 16 minutes wasn't in the same period. So now you're not just looking at about 16 minutes. You get stoppages in there. Maybe you're just over 20, but now you've got an intermission. You're probably another 20, 25 minutes on top of that. So it's been 40 or 45 minutes before Grubauer even seen shot. That's a lot of time to get cold and get out of your rhythm and not depocked. And so, of course, the first one's a tough one for him, and it's in tight and five hole. And that sucks, but it did get over it. Yeah. Yeah. You got to move on from that. And, and like you said, that's probably 40 plus minutes where Grubauer doesn't have a shot on him. And it's pretty tough for goalies to stay in their rhythm when they're going that long without a single shot on net. Right. And then you have Horvat who snipes on five hole too. It's that's a tough one for Grubauer to give up, but you're kind of hoping that, you know, going forward, he can shut the door uh, for this team, but, you know, Seattle did kept pouring, pouring on the pressure and Appleton gets a great chance on a breakaway, but uh, the puck squeaks, squeaks right past Demko, but he turns around, swipes it away from the goal line just before it trickles past him. That was a close one, wasn't it? Oh, sure. That's kind of a little bit of a killer. Takes the sails out of your wins, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, Demko, if it wasn't for him, uh, and the way he was playing in the second period, this would not be a tie game for Vancouver. So he was definitely standing on his head for Vancouver. Um, and then, yeah, right before the end of this period, um, 
uh, just the last two minutes here. Seattle gets another penalty. Uh, I think Lazon takes a cross check. Once again, they're able to kill it off. So that's good news just as the period ends. You know, now you're heading into the third period tied, right? Yep, which is kind of what you want in the home game. You would have liked to rather actually Appleton get that breakaway, find a way to squeak past Demko just a little bit further into the net there over the goal line. But you'll take a tie game going into the third, make it a hockey game for yourselves. Give yourselves an opportunity to win. Exactly. And to be honest, I thought that second period was probably their best period of hockey so far in this season. Like everybody was flying. They had great pressure. They weren't giving up much um, the other way. Uh, And, you know, like that stat we said before speaks about that with the 16 plus minutes. So, you know, you're playing one of your best periods of hockey. You're going into the third one, one, who's going to be the hero in this one, right? You need some of those veteran guys to step up and win you this hockey game, right? Did you say veteran guy? Would yeah, captain I said a apply? veteran guy. I think a captain applies to that. Oh, so Giordano coming up and just wiring a wrister past Demko's glove to give the Kraken a 2-1 lead five minutes into the third would fit what you're looking for? I think that would fit exactly what I'm looking for. And that's kind of what we were talking about in that second intermission uh, last night too. We need to see some veteran presence step up because it's been lacking and who else but your captain to make that happen. Right. And then McCann who assists on that goal and once again, gets another point up and he continues to be the most consistent forward for this team. So you have these good guys stepping up and you know, once they went up too, I really liked Seattle's pressure in this game. They didn't sit back like they did in that game against Nashville. They kept applying pressure, kept creating opportunities, and they kept pushing for more goals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's what we talked about on last week's pod, right? Where nobody likes a no shooting, low scoring game. Like, let's have some aggression to it. This one was what we were talking about. We'd like in a low scoring game. There's lots of pace to it. It's going back and forth. There's chances. Both goalies are playing well. I mean, those are the 2 1, 2 2 games you like watching. Yeah. Like, this was an awesome game. Um, but then, on, you know, with seven minutes left, Susie takes a tripping penalty. Vancouver to the power play. And Uh-oh. once again, their captain steps up. He answers back with his second of the game to tie it. You know, we're 2-2 with just seven minutes left. And, you know, we're back in that same position again where you need another hero to step up and secure two much-needed points for the Seattle team, right? Yeah, someone's going to step up here. I mean, we'd hoped it would be the veteran leadership, and it was before. So maybe we'll have another opportunity for somebody here to get up and get that going. Yeah, and they got some great pressure in the next couple shifts and the top line went out there and they had lots of sustained pressure in the offensive zone. And then, you know, Dunn is on that back point there and, you know, a a puck gets sent, get sent his way and it kind of fumbles right over his stick. And then Garland picks up a loose puck and just goes with it all the way down uh, the line there. And he pumps a fake, fake clapper and then throws one through the legs of Grubauer with just four minutes left in the third. That's a tough one, right? Absolute tough one to give up right there. Yeah. And right after I'd said both goalies have been playing so well too. I mean, you don't really like five hole goals on your goalie, 
but I understand they are a little tougher, but you got your stick there, get your paddle down, but you really don't like five hole goals from the perimeter and a distance. And I think being about the dot lane there, I think that's one you'd like Grubauer to have clean look at it. It's one you'd like him to save. Yeah, that's that's one where you're looking at it and you you need your goalie to step up and make that save. Like that's your Vezina not one, finalist goalie. Your Vezina finalist goalie in the home opener and first ever game in your arena. And you know, that's a tough play there at the blue line. Bounces over Dunn's stick. He's not able to get to that puck before uh Garland there and then I think Alexiak was pinching down low and he just got back to the blue line as that play was happening so you know it was a fight for him to get back and Garland's a fast guy he's got legs on him so um you know he's not an easy guy to catch and you know he was able to get away from guys and and get a clean shot off and you know put put Vancouver up by a goal there with just a few minutes left and a bit of a heartbreaker and Seattle did, you know, apply a bit more pressure right after they pull the goalie uh, with a minute left in this game. Uh, Vancouver seals the deal to spoil the first ever game at Climate Pledge Arena. The team falls to one, four, and one. Tough luck for the first game, right? Yeah, I mean, for it to come down to the last five minutes and then a couple mistakes like that, knowing you probably could have brought it home that sucks but at the same time i think as a fan you're looking at it and going you know what that was a hell of a hockey game we know we're not going to be the cat's ass here we're gonna have to fight for every win we get we're gonna have some tough nights where we lose by two with an empty netter there and i think at the end of the night you can go home saying your money was well spent having watched that hockey game yeah oh yeah it was definitely well spent there was a great hockey game but Again, like you have the two one lead in the third and you blew it. You know, yeah, blew, blew it. Yeah, blew it. And so that's a tough one. Uh, you know, anytime you blow a lead in the third period and end up losing the game, let alone a big game like this. So, you know, going forward, this team's really gonna have to find ways to score more goals. When you take a look at it, both of these goals come from defensemen. You got Dunn and, and Giordano who scored the goals in this game. And you got to have these forwards need to step up. You need to find goal scoring, especially from your veterans going forward. So, you know, at this point, you're kind of questioning who's going to do that for you, right? Yeah. And you're paying a couple guys like five, six, six and a half million dollars. They got to start being the guys to put the puck in the back of the net. You can't have no offense to McCann and Tanev, but you can't have two guys that you're paying a combined five and a half, six million dollars lead the team in goals when you've got guys making more than the both of them together with zero. No, you're right. It's definitely unacceptable. And we got to see that change here going forward soon, or this team is going to slip into a hole and not really can not really have a, a shot to make playoffs this year. Um, it's going to be a tight battle as it is. You can't continue to lose these types of games by not finding any goals um, because you're, you're never going to find a way back into it. So, you know, and again, in this game, face-offs were a big concern. First game at home, you're getting the matchups you want, and Seattle only win 39% of the face-offs in this game. So, you know, what does that mean going forward, Durham? It means you're going to be chasing the game a lot unless you can find a centerman that starts winning draws. Yeah, and uh, 
So I wouldn't be surprised if that's something they might look into in the future or they got to do something there because they can't keep losing that many draws. Now you're doing it at home. It's just not not a good luck, and you're going to continue chasing games because of it. You know, on the bright side, though, Yanni Gord, uh, interesting little stat here. He led the team in time on ice with 22 minutes and two seconds. So pretty rare that you see a forward leading your team in ice unless your name's Connor McDavid, right? Yeah, that certainly doesn't happen too often. I mean, you can see by the last couple of games watching Gord, though, he is flying out there. He's electric. He's buzzing around. He's making quick decisions with and without the puck. He's taking guys in the defensive zone. He's trying. He's trying to create a lot of offense, but we need a lot more of that amongst the rest of the lineup to start scoring goals. Yeah, 100%. And he didn't find the score sheet, but he did manage three shots and three hits. You know, it was a minus two, but... When, when you're out there that much and, you know, your team doesn't end up winning either, it's, it's kind of expected in, in a sense. So not really looking too much into the into the, the minus two there. You know, he's been one of your best forwards since coming back, and I expect that to continue, right? Exactly. He's going to have to be your top three forward all year. Yeah, 100%. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on an NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So, NFL fans, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. All right, welcome back to Keeping Up with the Krakens. I'm still joined here by Alec Durham, and I think it's time to kind of get into some an early look at the Pacific Division. What do you say? Let's do it. Awesome. So starting off... Uh, San Jose is off to a pretty hot start so far. Give me your take on them so far. I mean, after the last couple of years, really, who saw that coming? But they are looking confident. You know, it's a team coming in. They're 4-0 and to start. Did they? I don't think they got to 5. They played Boston today. Correct. Yeah, they are playing Boston today. Um, yeah, keep giving me your thoughts. I'll look it up right now as you talk about them. But, yeah, off to a 4-0 start. So, you know. Really, really good for them. They're playing like a man unlocked. I mean, Eric Carlson, would he chop off 12 inches of hair and all of a sudden he's aerodynamic now? He looks like he's 10 years younger. He is out there just dominating. He doesn't give a shit how many points he has. He's all about the team, and that's what you want to see from a guy. Yeah, no, it definitely looks like their offensive game is back, and Carlson's a big part of that once again. Uh, you're right. He chopped off, chopped off his hair. And he looks like he's, uh, you know, back to his old ways in a sense, right? He's out there just feathering pucks around, knocking them off sticks from the other team. He looks good. 
Yeah, and you know, checking the score, they did end up losing to Boston today, four three. Um, oh, they made it a game. They made it a game. Yeah, I think they were down early, three uh, nothing hole too. So they they came back, fought, and you know, almost came back in that one. But yeah, San Jose's looked really good, and I think that's surprising a lot of people because you know we look at their team and we see a bunch of you know older veteran style guys, especially on the back end, and you kind of question, you know, can they take another run with that? with that core group, you know, that's a lot of money tied up in those three defensemen. Almost a third of your money is tied up between Burns, Carlson, and um, uh, Edward, Mark Edward, yeah, Edward Vlasic there. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, a bit of a shocker to see them off to a hot start, but, you know, kudos to them. Moving on, though, we got, uh, we got Vegas, who's dealing with some key injuries right now. Uh, give me your take on their injuries and, you know, what what they're going to do without these guys in the lineup. Well, they're going to have to find some sort of game plan to score goals. Missing Mark Stone, Pacioretty, Alex Tuck. I mean, those are big holes in your lineup. Your winger depth is going to get tested. Call up Peyton Krebs already for crying out loud. Play yeah, the no kidding. Yeah, Krebs has been I mean, Don't play him awesome against Seattle. Preseason. <laughs> yeah, except for Seattle. Don't play him against him. Uh, he's a dangerous player. We don't want to see that. But yeah, I think if Vegas is just able to, you know, maybe, you know, that 500 mark, stay within that range for the next month or so, uh, you know, obviously if they, you know, can get above that, great. But uh, I think if they're able to do that, get their big guys back, they're, you know, going to be fighting for that uh, top spot in this division once again. Yeah, and it's early, right? I mean, anything can happen the first two, three weeks of the season. Detroit almost beat Tampa. I think we're going to have things settle out as the year goes when we get to games 60, 70, finally get to 82, you know, God willing. Mm-hmm. Then we'll look at the standings and be like, yeah, that looks about right. Yeah, I think you're right. You got to gotta let things settle in. Um, so that kind of brings me to the next team here. Can Anaheim surprise this year? Because they're off to a not a bad start so far. They've, they've played some pretty good hockey, uh, even though I think they're 2-3-1. Uh, I think a lot of those games are on the road, too, to start. So uh, can they surprise this year? I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what your definition of surprise is. If you're expecting them to be like a bottom-feeding team this year, that's not going to happen. I think they remind me a lot of LA Kings of last year where the first half of the season, everyone's like, Holy crap, is LA gone for it? Are they going to make the playoffs? But then they slowly petered out towards the end of the season, but you, sh- they showed you that they'd taken a step forward. I think that's what Anaheim's going to do this year. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And so far, some of those young players are really stepping up and playing some good hockey for them. And they're going to have to need that to continue to, you know, in order to get there and be a competitive team. And, you know, I think when we look at their goaltending, don't we, people don't give John Gibson enough credit because he, in my eyes, is still an elite goaltender in this league. I think so too. I mean, he's only a few years removed from where people had him as a shoe in as a Vezina finalist. Yeah. And you know, he's going to be sitting there competing uh, for a spot on the USA Olympic team. Right. And then, you know, this is a big year for him to kind of, you know, prove that again and make sure that he's a top three pick for that team. And he's still young too. Like he's been in the league a while, but especially when you compare the age of primes for goaltenders, like he's probably got another 
10 years left of being a very good goalie in this league. Yeah, technically he's only really in that age where goaltenders, you know, find most of the time are just, you know, finding their groove and becoming elite goaltenders in the league. So he still has plenty of game left in him. And, you know, once this Anaheim team, uh, you know, gets a little bit older, maybe they add a couple other pieces, um, you know, maybe Jack Eichel's one of those pieces who knows where that guy's going. That seems to be just all, you know, all over the map. That's a whole nother story. Stay out of the Pacific. Yeah. Stay out of the Pacific, please. (laughs) But yeah, Anaheim, again, another team that is on the rise and looking pretty good so far to start things off. And then we can't finish this little segment up without uh, talking about Edmonton here. Are they officially a wagon? Oh, you're going to put this on me. Yes. I I, I mean, you know, I'm not 100% sold on their goaltending. I know you love Mike Smith. I'm not always there. I think he has his good moments. But if you've got McDavid and Dreisaitl going to put up 120 and 180 points, respectively, or not respectively, McDavid, obviously, the 180, that'd be something, eh? (laughs) But I don't think it matters who the hell you've got in net. They're going 1980s Edmonton. Screw it. We're winning 8-6. We don't give a shit. Wins a win. <laughs> yeah, and you know, they're off to a pretty hot start here, 5 and 0. And yeah, McDavid's obviously, you know, tearing it up. Shocker, right? But it is a bit surprising to see him on pace, you know, we're only 5 games in, but he's on pace for over 200 points this year. That's crazy. That sounds good. Is that good? Can someone confirm? I don't know if that's good. We'll we'll have to check. We'll have to check to see if that's good. But someone do the math on that. Yeah, I I do. I like this Edmonton team a lot, to be honest. Uh, you know, Duncan Keith has looked really good to start off. He's paired off with Cody Cece, a guy who's, you know, taken his heat in the NHL, especially when he was, you know, in his last couple of years with Ottawa. Goes over to Toronto. Maybe doesn't look too good there either. Those Toronto fans, you know, they give him some some crap a lot too. And then, you know, he finds his way on, was it just like a one year deal? Uh, it was, I almost want to say 900 K, but I'm I'm not exactly sure what it was. Uh, I was about a mil there. I think he might've just been a shade over a shade over a mil. And yeah, Yeah. it's that one year deal with Pittsburgh and under coach Sullivan, like finds his game again and, you know, is back to being a really good defenseman. And that earns him a big contract in Edmonton. And so far, it's looking like it's working out there, too. So, uh, you know, it's good to see for him, obviously. And, you know, I think Edmonton really needs a couple just steady defensemen back there um, who could play good defense. You know, obviously, they have Darnell Nurse. They got Barry, who's, you know, more offensive-minded. And then this young kid, Evan Bouchard, who's come in and looked really good to start this year, too. And then the changes that Edmonton made in the offseason to really bolster their top nine. You had a guy like Warren Fogle and uh, some of the other free agent signings they made. Uh, I really like this Edmonton team a lot. And I did predict them to get first in this division, but, you know, there's tons of hockey left. So we'll see kind of where that goes. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of entirely reliant on their two big guys. Like if McDavid or Dreisaitl goes down, to injury for a couple months that's a big blow i mean one of them could probably carry the load for a little bit but if you start saying like 97 or 29 is gonna miss 20 games 
that's a serious hole that you probably can't fill. Oh yeah, that is. And I think you're right too. Like the biggest question mark is goaltending. I do love Mike Smith though. He's such a competitor. He's got a fire to him. He has taken a bit of an injury, which always scares you with a goalie his age. Um, just trying to make sure he can stay healthy this year, but you know, he, he does so much back there and he's one of the best at playing pucks and, and getting some of those pucks out of the end as well. So um, I do like this team. I think they're going to be exciting. Well, they're always exciting to watch. Anytime you have freaking McDavid on your team, you're exciting to watch no matter what. He's worth the price of admission. He is. Well, moving on to some cracking news here. Uh, Gary Bettman dropped a bit of a bombshell too before the opening uh, the opening night in Seattle for their first game. Uh, so Bettman, Bettman says Seattle is quote unquote on the radar for an outdoor game. That's huge news, huge news, Durham. Give me your thoughts. What does that mean for Seattle? Well, it means it's confirmed what everybody knew beforehand. They're a hockey market. You don't put teams into the outdoor games that you can't sell to, right? You got to have someone in there that really pushes the market value and gets tickets up and gets the numbers sold out there and has it where big TV ratings come in. And I think Seattle is going to be one of those teams. Like year after year, you see them high up there in the ratings. Same with Buffalo usually. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. I don't know who they play, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, if you had to choose one team who you think they would play, what team are you going with? I mean, I'd want it to be someone kind of with a bit of meaning to them. So probably I'd lean towards wanting to play Vancouver again. Maybe get McDavid there just because you'd have that value of Seattle this team versus Connor McDavid, who should be your most marketable player. But I saw the idea get floated out there of a give me Vegas and Seattle for an outdoor game. I was like, imagine telling someone that 10 years ago. Yeah, not only for opening night in the NHL, but now an outdoor game. Oh, right? man, that would be just so exciting to see. And you got to think it's going to be one of those teams out of the Pacific Division, right? I think I think you're spot on. It's either going to be Vegas. Um, it's going to be Vancouver because of that rivalry. Or why not throw McDavid out in one? Because uh, I think he's played one so far, and that was against Winnipeg in a Heritage Classic, uh, I believe. But but still, anytime you got McDavid on it, like what a huge draw, right? Exactly. Yeah, so that's exciting, and yeah, I can't wait. I wonder if it's going to be next season that that takes place. Of course, you know it's not going to be this year. That's a little. Uh, too close of a time to get things set up most likely i don't expect them to announce anything for this season but if it's next year awesome kudos and i just hope that we find a way to get there and watch that game live because that's going to be an awesome game wouldn't and that be something it would be yeah moving on here to uh just some more cracking news to cover Alex Boulay was placed on waivers earlier this week, and he gets claimed by the same team, Tampa Bay, who had originally put him on waivers. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. You know, thank you, Boulay, for coming over and uh, getting inserted into the lineup for a couple games. Uh, so, yeah, you know, you kind of expect this to happen. They have a lot of guys who 
uh, Seattle's, you know, has a lot of guys who are coming back from injury. So you're going to have to do something, right? Uh, you're going to have to lose guys somehow. Um, and, you know, it was kind of expected to see at least somebody put on waivers and that's probably not going to end. Um, there's probably going to be another player who has to be put on waivers once uh, Colin Blackwell is back and, and healthier uh, and ready to return. I mean, at least at this point, the guy you lose on waivers isn't technically a guy that you really lost. You just kind of borrowed from Tampa Bay for a couple of weeks. Exactly, so right? Total bonus. You know, you get a free player inserted in there. And especially with all the COVID stuff that was happening too, it was good to have that that quality insurance player to come in and, you know, see what he's made of and see if he fit with the team. He did end up getting an assist. Uh, so, you know, he did play some decent hockey, so, you know, but best of luck to him. I think he still has an NHL career ahead of him. Just don't know where it's going to be. Right. Yeah. He's probably hoping it's in Tampa. I mean, they're a wagon. Yeah. I think they're a pretty good team. We'll have to double check on that, but I think they're pretty good. They might be okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right. It is segment time. Durham. I am tossing you into the deep end. Oh, I hope I can swim. (laughs) Let's hope so. So starting off with our first question for you here, who will be the first player traded off of the Seattle Kraken? Ooh, first player traded. That's a tough one. I'm assuming by off the Seattle Kraken, it's got to be from their NHL roster. Not like yeah, let's go with an NHL, NHL affiliated. I mean, we could go with scratch players, players who are kind of on that bubble too, like you know, AHL affiliated guys like that who are going to be stuck in there. Let's leave them out. Let's try to see if you had to pick one off the NHL roster today, or you know, who you think will be traded off first. Who's it going to be? Cali Yarncrock. I think he's your most attractive asset going into the deadline if we're not going to be a playoff team. You know, he's a guy who's cheap, two mil. He's done after this year, and he could be a depth scorer. He's shown in Nashville he's got a bit of a scoring touch before. He hasn't found it yet in Seattle, but if he does, that's an attractive asset to a team going for a cup run in the playoffs. I think he could uh, be a big one. I love that pick. Yeah, He he is, you know, your typical middle six guy. Um, You know, if he gets traded to a competing team, he's probably going to slot in on a third line somewhere. Um, you know, if it's really deep fourth line, right. And not any bat, no, no bashing to his type of play, but I mean, to have a guy like him on your fourth line on a deep front, uh, deep forward roster, that would be huge. You know, he's a, he's a big penalty killer and he's proven to play some second line power play as well. So, you know, a bit of a Swiss army knife. So yeah, I love that. Love that answer. Yeah, I think if he's on your fourth line as a fan, you're pretty happy. You're probably in a good position to win a lot of hockey games. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, so moving on to uh, the second question I have for you. If not this year, when will Seattle make playoffs for their first time ever? Ooh. Couple of tough questions in the deep end here, Belzy. We're not going easy. We're not going easy. It, it It is the deep end, so... Oh, not, it's not the shallow. We're not end. treading. Yeah, we're not in the shallow end here. So the deep end. Damn. I want some deep thoughts, some deep answers. Well, if not this year, 
I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to make the playoffs going forward because we don't have a whole lot of young prospects coming up that are going to be impact players adding to your core. I mean, you got Matty Beneers, obviously, who I think could play games at the end of this season and going forward next year could be your second line centerman. Mm-hmm. But the core players you have now are all approaching 30 or just on the other side of it. So your impact players are starting to get older for one. You don't have many younger players coming up for two. So I think it's going to get more difficult if we're already a bubble team for the playoffs making it. So it could be three, four, five years before they really start to make playoffs. Yeah, that's totally fair. Like it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like it's looking like it's going to be really tough to make playoffs this year. So, and then you look at the Pacific division some of the teams, right? You have teams who are ready to compete now, and then you have a good handful of teams, you know, your LA, your Anaheim, who have these really high-end prospects who are going to be pushing the next couple of years uh, into the playoffs. And you take a look at Seattle's roster, it's almost like they got to compete now or, you know, it won't be too long. Yeah, you know, tread water. It won't be too long before you know, they might have to look at doing some kind of rebuild or retool soon enough for this franchise. All right, Ty, I'm going to toss you into the deep end here then. I got one for you. If it might be a while before Seattle makes the playoffs, will Dave Haxtell coach playoffs in Seattle? Ooh, will Haxtell be the head coach once this team makes playoffs for the first time? Yeah, no, that's a tough one too. Um, Man, I don't know if they make playoffs this year now. They're going to be close. I think they're going to be close. I think they're going to find their groove. It's going to take, you know, that 20 to 30 game mark. It's usually what it takes before you start to, you know, fully understand your coach's um, you know, strategies and get those all down. So if they miss this year, um, I say they have one more, he has one more chance. Um, and then by that third year, I think if you've missed the first two years, I think they're looking at a new head coach. So if they're not able to make playoffs in year one and two, I would say a new head coach is going to be, uh, on this team. And then, yeah, so, yeah, that's a tough one. If I had to pick yes or no, I think, I think I'm going to lean towards no. <laughs> and, you know, we are obviously Seattle positive here, but we have to have some realistic expectations at the same time. So, um, you know, I was always, always a big question mark with this hiring of Hackstall. You know, there was a lot of good coaches out there. So I am going to go with no for this one. Ooh. Ooh, dragon hat stall down in the deep end with you. Yeah, he's he's coming down here with me. <laughs> Sorry, hack stall. Sorry for throwing you into that, but uh, you know, just my opinion. So that's just how I think it's gonna go. And that just about wraps it up here for this week's episode. Uh, make sure you join us next podcast as we break down games versus Montreal and Minnesota. Also, we'll be breaking down our first review of the Seattle Kraken prospects, see how they're doing so far with their respective teams. Um, And yeah, taking a look at that squid squad. 
so thanks everyone for joining us. Thanks to all you crackheads. Have yourselves a great week and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>